0: Hello and welcome to the Life Tools Podcast. In school, we learned history and algebra, foreign languages and chemistry, but nobody taught us tools for life. How do we deal with self-doubt? What are beliefs and how do they influence us? How do we find ourselves when we feel lost? And how do we make a healthy decision? Many people learn these things much later in life, after 3, 4, even 5 decades of existence, and often the hard way. For a few, like myself, I had to learn them very early. I created this podcast to share with you the tools that have helped me greatly in my own life. They're small actions anybody can take that bring big results over time. Let's get to it. Hello everyone, I am recording this on another lovely rainy day in Vienne, France. I hope that wherever you are, you are also finding joy in the little things. I think a big part of cultivating inner peace in life is finding joy in the small things. In this parenting series so far, we have looked at why we need to learn principles and we've also looked at two principles. One being your children are not your children and second being empathy. This week we are talking about the word good as we like to use it with children. We use it synonymously with the term well-behaved. Hopefully, by the end of this episode, we will have redefined this very short but very powerful, very influential word. Think of when we employ this word to describe a child. What are we talking about exactly? And why do we appreciate it so much? I'll give you some examples. In school, when little Chris sits still in his chair, hands on his desk, eyes on the teacher, we say Chris is a well-behaved child. When 6-year-old Nicole finishes everything on her dinner plate, which we have put there, we say Nicole doesn't fuss at mealtimes. Nicole is a good child. When 10-year-old Margot does all her homework in all her school subjects every single day, Margot is a good student and a good child. We think for sure she will succeed as an adult given how willingly she does everything she is supposed to do. When five-year-old Sarah unquestioningly follows our orders like give your toy to your little brother, or put on your coat, or sing the new Chinese song you learned for Aunt Bella, or shut up, do not say a single word back when you're being reprimanded, we say Sarah is good and respectful. We'll go more into respect in another episode. When teenage Mike agrees with our point of view on everything, on what's good, what's bad, whom to make friends with and whom to exclude, what religion is the best, how to dress, what professions are respectable and therefore what he should pursue, we say we are so lucky because Mike is a very good son. When we set house rules or classroom rules without explaining why and little Patrick just follows them to a T without the slightest protest, we say Patrick is very well behaved. When Anne gets bullied in school by an older, bigger classmate and doesn't put up a fight, we say Anne is such a good and kind child. When little Valerie lets us choose her clothes for school, this top with this bottom with these shoes today and this color cardigan with this color pants for tomorrow, and Valerie never says no to our choice, just puts them on because she believes we know best, we say Valerie is a good child and we are so lucky to have her. There are many more examples, but I'll stop here. Now let's go back to the two questions. One, when we say a child is good and well-behaved or any of the synonyms of these two words, what are we really talking about? Two, why do we appreciate it so much? To get to the answers, and also to see the bigger picture of this dynamic, let's go through the examples again, but this time looking through two different lenses. One lens being the benefits we enjoy from the child being what we consider good, And another, the lens of the long-term effects of this behavior on the child. When Chris sits still in his chair, hands on his desk, and I'm the teacher, I benefit greatly because classroom management becomes so much easier. Imagine if all 30 students in my classroom were like Chris. There would be no classroom chaos to manage, and my teaching life would be a walk in the park. But is it really good for Chris? Is it good for him to be sitting 8-10 to hours a day in a cramped classroom? his body will suffer. Emotionally, he will also suffer from his mental prison. I say mental prison because everything he wants to do will go through the filter of, is this okay for the adults? Will I get disapproval for this? If he wants to dance, for example, and dancing is not approved of, he will not dance. He will apply this thinking to many, many things throughout his day and by extension throughout his life. When six-year-old Nicole finishes whatever I put on her plate, whether I'm the mom or the nanny, she makes my life easy. Meal times go smoothly. But is it good for her? If Nicole listens to adults on what to eat and how much to eat, then she will never have the opportunity to listen to her body. She will never even know that her bodies communicate with us. Some days we want to eat more of this thing, other days more of that thing. Some days we eat bigger quantities, other days less, because our bodies don't need the extra fuel. But Nicole won't know that. Nicole's diet will become an area in her life where she is very disconnected with herself, which will make this area prone to major imbalance in times of stress, like addictions and very unhealthy eating. When 10-year-old Margot subscribes to the belief that school is everything because it's what mom and dad and teachers say, and so she devotes all her energy to school and nothing else, it relieves our anxiety about her future. It makes our lives more predictable and easy. It also makes us look good in society, having a child who wins school medals year after year. But then, she will leave no space within her to truly feel what she likes and doesn't like. All great if Margot is a naturally academic person who loves all things school. But what if deeper within her she actually prefers painting, or music, or body movement? She will grow up unhappy, a robot within society just following the path prescribed for her. And she will feel something is missing. Well, that something is her connection to herself. And she won't even know it because this connection got cut off early on in her life. It will take a major crisis for her to wake back up to it. When Sarah always does, as she is told, it makes our lives run more smoothly. But what if one day Sarah has to go off to university in a different city, and from all directions she hears, you should do this, and you should try that, and some of these things are not good for her. All her life, all she had to do was listen to other people bark orders, and by following, she got approval. So basically, she's cultivated that connection to external approval one million times more than her ability to really feel whether something is right for her or not. So how is she supposed to make decisions for herself now? When Mike unquestioningly believes everything we believe in, it gives us an ego boost because it makes us feel right. But what if some of our beliefs are wrong? What if they were right for our generation but not for Mike's generation? What if we are unconsciously racist? What if we're really screwed up about some things? Is it really good for Mike to absorb everything that comes out of our mouths? He'll go out into the world with beliefs and ways of behaving that were copy-pasted from our minds to his, without consideration of the changing context. Reality will give him some hard lessons to learn. And I will not be surprised if Patrick, once he enters the workforce, unquestioningly take shitty treatment from his boss, just as he did when he was a child, following every rule we set for him to a T, never questioning if it was fair or not, which made our lives 10 times easier, by the way. He'll think that bad treatment from his boss is part and parcel of starting out in the world of work. He'll think he will eventually get approval for following the rules and not making a fuss, just as he got approval for it when he was a child. Seeing this future possibility, Is it really good for Patrick to be blindly obedient? The same argument applies to Anne and Valerie and all other children, young and old, with whom we use labels like good and well-behaved and easy to mean they make my life easier but I haven't really given a thought to whether it's good for them as well. So really, when we say a child is good, what we are often actually talking about is the child's ability to do as we wish to refrain from causing us trouble or inconvenience, to exist as extensions of us instead of as separate humans with our own thoughts and preferences. And we appreciate it so much because it makes our lives predictable and easy. It boosts our ego by making us feel right and making us look good in front of others. Nothing wrong per se with wanting life to be predictable and easy. It's human nature and healthy, but not when it's at the dire expense of other people and children are people. Our influence on children, conscious or unconscious, is huge. What we teach them today will have serious consequences on their future and by extension, on society's future. We must be very mindful of what messages we are communicating to them. We must have the humility and the self-awareness to evaluate our motivations first. Are we approving of a particular behavior for our own selfish benefit while unintentionally skewing their minds? Are we building their wings to fly in the future or are we clipping them? From here on out, let's be careful how we use the word good. Let's use it to contribute to their well-being. Well-being includes physical, emotional, and spiritual wellness. A child who is well grows up to be an adult who knows how to set healthy boundaries, to feel what is right and what is not right for them, to go for goals without stepping on others, to oppose authority if this authority is abusive, to make healthy decisions that respect oneself and others, and to cultivate genuine human connection. The next time you feel yourself wanting a child to behave a certain way, ask yourself, what's the motivation behind this desire? What does it bring me? What are its short-term and long-term effects on the child? What attitude and what action can I take that will contribute to both my well-being and the child's well-being? That's it for this week. If you found this episode helpful, the best way to support this podcast is to give it a five-star review and to share it with people who might also benefit from its message. Thank you for listening and have a great week ahead. Bye!